0: Good morning. The first reading today comes from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12, found on 1010 of page 1010 of the Church Bible. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven."
1: Uh, The second reading is uh, found in Romans chapter 12. It'll be the whole chapter. And the Church Bibles, it's on page 1188. And Paul packs a lot of teaching in this one chapter. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
2: Well, uh, to keep your Bible open there, uh, we're going to be looking at this passage uh, from Romans 12. Uh, We're going to be focusing actually a bit more on uh, verses 3 onwards. Um, but that's kind of where we're headed and there's an outline uh, that hopefully we would have got on the way in as well. Uh, so as I said, we're going to be, uh, this morning, as we look at this part of God's Word, uh, we're going to be seeing what our lives are to look like as the saved people of God. That's where this passage fits. What are our lives as forgiven sinners meant to be given to? Paul in verse one says that we're to give ourselves as a living sacrifice uh, is an interesting uh little uh paradox well it, it, its it's a bit paradoxical actually uh the whole living sacrifice uh, because this is really uh being said in the context of old testament uh worship old testament uh temple worship of the lord uh, where sacrifices um, were what what did you do to a sacrifice you You killed it. Uh, It was kind of, it was dead and you put it on the altar. Um, and so here, Paul picks up on that language, but he brings in this idea of a living sacrifice. Um, They say, uh, there's a joke about living sacrifices, that the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep getting off the altar. Um, they keep uh, taking themselves away from being sacrificed. But today, as we look at this part of God's Word, I do uh, hope and pray that we're going to be able to see how we ought to, in a sense, keep the sacrifice on the altar, keep continuing uh, to give our lives as a living sacrifice uh, to the Lord. But it is important to note, as Paul says at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, um, that all of this, that this part of God's Word really comes in the context of the mercies of God. It comes in the context of having received the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. What are our lives now to look like? Well, as uh, it was read for us uh, by Warwick just then, did you notice in chapter 12 just how much of this chapter is given over to uh, spe- specifics about how we relate to other people? Rather than necessarily specific rituals performed in service to God. It's a living sacrifice to God, as we see in chapter, in verse one, but so much is taken up in how we relate to others. And that's because as we live out our living sacrifice, a big part of that is giving up our lives in loving service, in service of others. Serving our brothers and sisters in Christ and serving those who are not here yet. And that's why Paul goes to where he goes in verse 3 as he talks about humility, sober-mindedness. Uh, humility is the key plank of the renewed mind that Paul is talking about in verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so it, humility then shapes Our living sacrifice and what it means to live for others. Let's have a look at verse three. Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. Paul says here to get a clear headed, right understanding of ourself and our place in God's world. And we do this by using the measure of faith. Now, don't be confused by that phrase here, the measure of faith. Um, it, Paul's not talking about uh, a quantity, an amount of faith, uh, that some have been given this much and others have been given this much or that kind of But more the measure, in a sense, the rule of faith, the thing that we measure ourselves by. Um, if you understand... How have we come, or how can we come to a right understanding of ourselves and our place in God's world? Well, it's by seeing that no one stands before God on our own two feet, on the basis of our own good merit. No one is acceptable to God because of what they deserve. Rather, in Christ, we all stand before God as forgiven sinners, by faith declared right. Not from ourselves, but from God. It's it's by faith that we can view ourselves one another and the world rightly. It is as we measure ourselves ourselves under the measure of faith that we have no reason to boast. But instead we're led into a clear-headed, sober-minded humility. We are humbled by the necessity of God's grace. We are valued and know our value not by what what we can do but by his love for us. And by faith we are privileged in being made by God his children together. This is sober judgment. This is how we think of ourselves with sober judgment in light of the mercies of God. And so humility then is a key, the key to the, being the kind of living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God, that we're called to in light of God's mercies. Without humility, well, we're going to view ourselves too highly. We'll consider people and, and, and things to do both beneath us. We'll overestimate what we deserve and expect others to serve us. You see, without humility, even what we do do, it'll end up pointing to who? To ourselves, rather than to God. And so our living sacrifice will end up being sacrificed for our own honour, rather than for God's. Lack of humility looks like pride, doesn't it? That's the first P word there on the outline. Lack of humility looks like pride, but there's another thing that lack of humility can leave us in, if you like. It might be a bit surprising. Without humility, we can be paralysed in self-pity too. You see, humility, as it knows God's love and power, looks at ourselves with sober judgment, but then goes on to look to others about how to love and serve others. Knowing God's love and power, knowing God's mercy and grace, humility enables us not to get stuck on ourselves, not to get stuck feeling like we've got nothing to offer, nothing to contribute, not to get stuck in self-pity, but humility trusts God when God says that He can work through even you in the lives of others. Whereas self-pity ultimately doesn't, when we're in there, we don't get past ourselves, do we? And so pride and self-pity need true humility by the grace of God. This comes by the renewing of our mind as we sit under the scriptures. And Paul goes on to kind of give us a picture, uh, if you like, of what this humility looks like in the body. Look with me uh, at verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. As one body, we are connected Sober thinking, sober-minded humility means knowing who you belong to in the family of God. Yes, of course, as God's people, we belong to God. But do you see here in verse 5 who else we belong to? you see it there? Though we are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You belong to each other. Just look around the room for a moment. It's okay, it might be a little bit awkward, but look around the room. Look at the people in the rows in front of you and behind you. If everyone looks forward, you know, and then everyone looks back. Think about the people over here in Little Sprouts or the people who often serve in Kids Church and be up in the Kids Shed now. The junior high group that would normally be meeting in St Stephen's now. Think about the people who met in, in Old St. Stephen's already, who met at 8 o'clock and those who were going to be here a little later on today. You belong to them. They belong to you. We belong to each other. Of course, it's bigger than that. Belonging to Christ means that we don't just belong to those who meet here but who belong to Christ all over the world. You belong to them too. But there is a particular expression of the body of Christ that we have as the local gathering of God's people. And this belonging is profound, significant. I think it's a bit hard for us to, to really grasp this because most other things that we belong to these days are, are at a much different level. You know, you might belong to the provost club, to the soccer club, uh, you might belong to uh, the RSL or the Men's Shed. You might belong to NRMA roadside, maybe. Um, in fact, I find myself going shopping these days. Every second shop wants you to belong, to be a member with them. If you have got our membership card, uh, you can get that. You become part of the IKEA family. Uh, Spotlight. Uh, there's even a loyalty card at the chemist down in North Richmond. Um, perhaps we should have our own knack. Membership card. No, 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 let not do that. Because you see, the Bible's idea of belonging is much more than just having a card and coming, you know, visiting every, every now and again when the specials are on. What's the point of belonging in those kinds of clubs? Well, you belong to get something out of it, don't you? Whereas in Christ, Sure, there's great blessings, but we belong to each other because God has made us his, because God has brought us together, because we're joined up by the one spirit. And in fact, God hasn't just saved us as individual people, you know. God saved you and saved you and you. and He's actually saved us as a people. One group, a body. And so we belong to one another because we're part of the body. We belong to one another because we're part of the family. And those who are who belong to this to the family of the servant king, well, we express what it means to belong. Not by self seeking, not by what can I get out of it, but by serving. So is that how you think about yourself? Is that how we think about ourselves? Do we see the claim that others here have on our lives? That's quite countercultural, isn't it? To say that another has a claim on your life. But like we saw that mind shift last week, when the way that God is working in us is not merely that we might be like Jesus, but that we might give glory and honour to Him, that He's the centre. How is that thinking shaping the way that we think about serving in the body? How far would you go in service of another in the church body? How how much would you give up for the person in front of you, for the person at the 8 o'clock service or the children or the youth or someone from evening? What, what is it in this passage that we're called to give God again? Chapter 12, verse 1. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember the sacrifice from the Old Testament? It's not half a sacrifice, a quarter of a sacrifice, but it's, it's the whole lot. You can't put half a sacrifice on the altar. It's all or nothing. Everything we have. So as it comes to living out our sacrifice, living and giving God all that we have, it's really his twice over in a sense too. It's his because he made us and gives us everything and it's his because he saved us and made us his again. When it comes to living out our living sacrifice, humility is the key then. But just before we move on to this second part, as we focus a bit more in on love, we also need to remember what I mentioned back at the start about the mercies of God. You see, this kind of life, this kind of life which gives everything in service to God, comes from the grace of God. As our minds are renewed in view of god's mercies, in other words, as we understand where we stand on our own two feet, back in earlier, we didn't read all of Romans, but but back in Romans chapter one, two, and three, where we see that we don't no one can stand before God, justified right with God, based on what we do, but we all deserve judgment, and yet God has made the sacrifice, the sacrifice by which we can stand declared innocent, righteous in his sight. And in view of what God has done, in view of how God has made us his, our lives are given to him as a living sacrifice. Well, if humility uh, is a key motivator for our living sacrifice, then love is a key direction. How are we going to work out which way to, what to do in sacrifice of our lives? Well, love. Verse nine. Love must be sincere, sincere love, not mere lip service. Hating what is evil, clinging to what is good. It might be a bit surprising, kind of seeing love and hate kind of in the same verse there, um, but. They're not opposites, they're just two sides of the same coin. You see, the opposite of love is actually apathy, isn't it? When you don't care. But when you love, you will love what is good and true. And that will mean hating what is evil and wrong and working against it. Love is the direction of our service, of one another and of God, because it points us to what is good for the other. And in Romans 8, we saw last week that the overall good that God is working towards in all of us is to make us like Jesus. Love is the key direction. Uh, There's two areas that we're going to particularly think about and the first is loving and serving God with what he's given us and the second, loving and serving our enemies. Now look with me, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. If we rightly understand ourselves as belonging to one another then it actually follows that the gifts that we've been given, that who we are and what we have has been given to us by God for the sake of serving one another, not just ourselves. Isn't it? How are you going with the gifts that God has given you? It might be particular skills or, or, or character traits. It might be life circumstances that he's put you in that enable you to take up, certain opportunities. We've all been given gifts. If you feel like you've missed out, well, can I assure you uh, that you haven't. God has given his spirit to all of us and in fact he's given all of us gifts to serve in the body. Talk to a wise Christian who knows you. We all have gifts and all of them have been given that they might be used to serve. At this, we might think of the parable of the talents where the king gives talents to three of his servants and goes away and two of them use their talents and one of them doesn't. One of them buries it. And that's a bit of a parable for the way that God has given gifts to his people and the way that we use them in the body. There's a whole different uh, kinds of ways that we could uh, go about doing that. It might be in accepting responsibility for a a kind of formal ministry. It might be continuing to look for opportunities of service wherever we are. It might be in relationships or in a particular relationship where you sit alongside someone and grieve. Where you sit alongside someone and share in their joys. But in all of these things, the expression of our lives as a living sacrifice is lived for God and for others in humility and love. I've got a couple of questions, though, to just help us think through some of these things here. It talks about gifts. Do we have just one gift? Is that what we're to think here? Well, Actually, I don't think that's what, what Paul is saying as if there's only one gift that you have and that's the only way you can serve. Or or maybe that if you think you've got one particular gift and not another gift, then you don't need to do that. Like, I've only got the gift of prophesying and not the gift of uh, contributing to the needs of others so I don't need to give money or something. No, underlying all of this is humility and love. In Christ, he leads us in willingness to serve, to use what we have all of what we have, faithfully, joyfully, in a way that honors him. Another question you might have is, well, what if I don't know what my gift is? What gifts do I have? Should that stop us from serving? Now, I think we're not meant to kind of hold off on serving until we and sit in deep contemplation over what our gifts might be before we start serving. Often, in fact, as we begin to look at, about how to love and serve others, We learn about ourselves, don't we? We learn about our strengths and our weaknesses and and further understand how we might serve others best. In fact, often as we serve, others can see things about us, can see things in the way that we serve that, that we can't and they can encourage us about how God has enabled us to serve. But what about the fact that life is just so busy? Do I really have to serve as well? When it comes to, to service and, and thinking about our lives as service, I really, really believe, and I really think that God says to us as well, that serving isn't just the bitter pill that we need to swallow with the honey of salvation but that actually serving, using the gifts that God has given us in love and service of others is part of the blessing that we've been given in the Lord. That's why in his grace he's given gifts to us in order that we might be blessed and bless others as we serve. This doesn't mean God wants us to serve more than we can. He knows what each of us can do. It doesn't mean that you should always be thinking, how can I do more? How can I do more? But it does mean seeing that God has in fact given us everything in order that we might work for his glory. And so continuing to ask ourselves, are we using what God has given us the way he would have us? Are we using what God has given us the way that he would have us? When Jesus returns, we don't want to be found to have buried some or all of our talents or used them in ways which aren't where we could have used them. So I pray that we will have courage to ask ourselves and one another, are we busy doing the right things? Are we busy doing the right things? And I pray that we'll have courage to humbly hear the answers. Living out our living sacrifice means loving and humble service with all that God has given us. And the last thing we're going to pick up on here is where, is where uh, Paul turns from verses 14 onwards, loving and serving our enemies. Let me just pick up on a few verses. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Down in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 18, live at peace with everyone. In verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul says, things that seem quite similar in multiple ways here, doesn't he? He takes pains to help us to see how important this is. The positives, the negatives, don't repay evil for evil. Live at peace with everyone. And he gives us the reason. God is the judge. Judgment is his. In this situation, as we think about enemies, lots of us might well say, look, I don't have enemies, we don't have enemies these days. Maybe in the schoolyard it might have been a little bit more obvious, um, but not anymore. But I do think, in a sense, the world is a bit like that schoolyard, except most adults, many adults, uh, we're just generally better at, at keeping everything looking peaceful. How do you treat people for whom you don't... for, for Sorry, whom you don't have a high opinion of? How do you treat others that you might have a prejudice against? How do you do good to them? For that's what loving our enemies means. Whether it's that person at work, that person in your family who's always getting under your skin, that neighbour in your street. I think we can kind of put this whole thing in the too hard basket a little bit. We can make Jesus' words not say, uh, love your enemies, but look, it's okay if you just quietly ignore and avoid your enemies. Jesus might have been able to do that, but, you know, no normal person can. But the thing that rebukes me when I start thinking this way is again and again, what Paul mentions back at the start, in view of God's mercies. Remember again the mercies of God, that his mercy and kindness was such that he died for me to save me when I was his enemy. Instead of being overcome by evil and responding in kind to those harsh words, to that ill-treatment, Let's overcome evil with good, loving them and being kind despite what they might have done to you. Not taking that automatic step of revenge. How easy does that come? How much do we regret it afterwards? Not rising to the challenge to overcome evil with evil, but submitting, sorry, but seeking to love them with what God has given us that we might truly be children of our Father in heaven. The last thing I want to say here is just about the the living at peace. It talks about living at peace with everyone. And we, we mustn't think that that means not having conflict. Living at peace with one another does not mean avoiding conflict. In some relationships, sometimes there might need to be a surface kind of level of peace peace outside the body, especially with people who might not be committed to peace. But within the body of Christ, this kind of peace is deep and firm. A peace that doesn't just ignore things that are wrong as if they haven't happened, but seeks to express hurts and seek forgiveness. It's peace that deals with the conflict deeply and grows actually in trust and love as you do so. Well, this term, as we look ahead and we do focus on serving, and we'll have lots of time to think about this aspect, of living out our living sacrifice. And I pray that we will remember that our living sacrifice is not the sacrifice that we make to make ourselves right with God, but the sacrifice, the right giving of all of our lives in service to Him. And I pray that we'll be enabled to do just what we've thought about here together. Think about our serving, encourage one another and grow in the way that we live it out, holy and pleasing to God. Amen.